You're listening to That'll Preach, a weekly show on the Four Oaks Midtown podcast. I'm Brian, joined by Paul. Paul, how you doing? Doing wonderful, Brian. On how are you doing? One to ten, how are you feeling? I'm not telling you which one is one or ten. I want to see if you can intuit it. <laughs> it doesn't matter what I feel. It matters what I do. Excellent. Excellent. We're, <laughs> Isn't keep that a great that, segue? That, that is fantastic. <laughs> but we're going to break that segue because before we jump into... Continuing our series on mere Christianity. You're going to lay a hot take on me. I'm going to lay a hot that take on you. So that sounds very strange. But uh, <laughs> just keep going. It's like a burning ember I'm going to put onto your hairy Egyptian chest. Oh my wow, goodness. Wow, I made that it was even weird. weirder. Yeah. Man, anyway, I am sorry for this. Keep going. Anyway, mere Christianity, we've been covering this book uh, by C.S. Lewis, the great C.S. Lewis. And uh, we've been looking at some of his brilliant insights. It's one of those books you learn something new every time you read it. I feel and, like you say that every time. But yeah, yes, and every right. time it's true. Leave every, me alone, Paul. What's true is true, irrespective of when you say it. Brian. There you go. It sounds like a Dr. Seuss book, something <laughs> like that. But regardless, you just got canceled. Exactly. But regardless, uh, we're going to be looking at some great sections in Mere Christianity. We're actually going to wrap up book three. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk a little bit about charity, faith, and love. Or charity, charity, hope, and charity, faith. hope, and faith. Yeah, because charity is love. Exactly, exactly. But before we do that, this I've got it. Well, let me talk, Paul. Ahead, before we do that, we've got a hot take, unpopular opinion, and uh, we start off every show with this. So this is mine. I think camping. I know exactly what you're going to say. What am I going to say? Camping is terrible, and we should never camp. No, 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 no. Camping is the greatest form of bougie privilege. Interesting. Say more. Maybe bougie. I mean, people are talking about privilege all the time, you know, yeah. and I'm like, look, camping. I mean, think about this. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Our ancestors <laughs> fought tooth and nail, literally, to be able to create a society where we wouldn't be eaten by bears <laughs> and wild animals. And we wouldn't have to, you know, be sleeping in the woods with insects and mosquitoes transmitting all these diseases to us. Yeah. Think about all the the thousands of years of of our ancestors fighting for the Who chance not to have I mean fighting against nature, the elements, oh, I see. disease, not having to sleep outside. And now today we are so privileged mm-hmm. that we and do so it for fun. Disrespecting of our ancestors that we go out <laughs> into nature willingly to subject ourselves to be food for bears and blood supply for insects and put ourselves in nature <clears throat> for enjoyment when we spent and sacrificed so much to be able to have air conditioning. I'm to be getting able to the have sense that you really love camping. I'm not opposed to it. But I think we need to assess as a civilization <laughs> the intense amount of privilege it requires to be able to make something, to be able to make what was a life and death situation for our ancestors hmm. a weekend outing. Think about that. That is an interesting take for sure. When Do you like t- camping? No, I don't. Why I don't like, you like camping? Because I, I don't like having to go to the bathroom outside. It's That's the worst. horrible. Uh, like, yeah, the bugs are terrible. I went camping once in Florida. Never again. It was well, stupid hot. Well, and I've hot. heard it that Florida is the worst place to camp. Yeah, just never do camp. But No, you're right. You carry all your luggage and all your supplies and you sleep outdoors. It's overrated. That's I don't the know thing, that, too. I don't you, think we you actually carry all it. these supplies 
That you have at home. That you have. Like, it's just like, you know, it reminds me of that Jim Gaffigan <laughs> yeah, yeah, thing, yeah. skit about Christmas about where it's like, that. what's Christmas about? Well, Christmas, we take all the lights inside and we yeah. put them out there and we take all the trees out there and we put them inside. It's, like, it's the it's behavior like, of a drunk man. Exactly. It isn't camping. I mean, it's just like. Jim Gaffigan also says, uh, you, you know how I know my parents loved me? They never took me camping. <laughs> you know what you should do to offset it? When you go out to camp, let homeless people live in your house. Right? Interesting. Right? Uh, so you you go out there for your enjoyment, wait, but don't be, let your house just sit there by itself. Let homeless people occupy your house. To be symmetrical, wouldn't you have to let a bear into your house? Yes. You let a bear <laughs> into your house. You could do that. Exactly. Wow. When was the last time you were camping, And you would Brian? go back. You would go back to your house and the bear would mess it up and you'd be like, what are you doing? Like, you came into my house, plopped yourself in the middle of it and just met, oh, that's what we did to nature. By plopping our little yeah, except bears don't have personal property, and there's lots oh, come of on. It's twenty twenty one. It's twenty twenty one. I'm sensing you had like a really traumatic camping experience. No, no, no. I just have I you had I any camping experiences? It wasn't great. I mean, we. It's never great. I I look. I'm not saying that camping is bad. I'm just saying that sometimes people are like. <laughs> A little too obsessed with it as if it's like a virtuous thing, like, oh, I love camping. And it's like. No, you don't. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I buy it. No, that's fair. Like, I, here's the thing. I respect the people that rough it. They go camping and they're like, it's my, I got my switchblade, one tent, and I'm going to kill a, a deer and eat it. And we're going to roast <laughs> over the fire. I'm like, all right, I respect that. So but, you don't like uh, the, like the pampered luxury camping. You're okay with it if it's super primitive. No, no, no. I would do the pampered luxury camping because I'm like, at least you're not faking it. Boy, that's like, yeah. the opposite of roughing it. No, I'm saying either rough it or go luxury, but don't do the middle and act like it's Wow, this is a very it. nuanced hot yeah. take position. Yeah. I don't yeah, even know yeah. what to think anymore. I don't know. Uh, all right. So moral of the story, Brian likes having really nice toilet paper when he camps. Well, okay. And that is maybe a more of a personal thing, but I mean, like, come on, you're going to use leaves? Like... <laughs> Nobody uses leaves. Oh, what do you use? You carry your toilet paper with you. Oh, so you bring toilet paper. Well, yeah. Did you actually think people use leaves? <laughs> I mean. <laughs> That's really funny. I guess you can jump in the lake or something. Yeah. I don't think anybody actually uses leaves. But if so, then feel free to leave a you comment or something. Leaf, and tell you're going to have a lot of problems. <laughs> you catch my use drift. leaf. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. See, this is why this show is a cultural experience for people. I hope someday aliens find this digital file and they're just like, man, 21st century Americans were such a fascinating species. And then they realize that Brian is a really poor sample size for the human species. No, then they realize I'm actually one of them <laughs> sent here as a spy. This got really weird really fast. What are we talking about again? C.S. Lewis. I still, yeah, I still think there's a Two difference between three... being outdoorsy and camping, but okay. Fair. That's fair. You, I just, you I'm can just, hike and not camp and then. I don't want to yeah. hear. I don't want. Here's the thing. I don't want people to be like, oh, because you don't like camping, you must hate activity. And I'm like, please. Camping <laughs> okay, is not an fair. activity. Right. I mean, it's like. You're just sleeping outdoors with Yeah. Bears. I'm like, don't act like this is some kind of That's athletic, fair. physical exertion that proves something about, you know, Whatever. Unless you know what you're saying? hiking and roughing it. 
Yeah. Yeah, okay. exactly. That's what okay. I mean. Like, don't act like it's this exertion of, like, your strength That's or, fair. like, your physical fitness. It's not. You're just outdoors pooping in the wild yeah, and sleeping like with that. flies. Right. Unless you're actually roughing it, then I'm like, respect. Because okay. you're actually exerting yourself physically for that. But don't, don't. Yeah, I just don't want that hate of like, oh, brain. You know, we should go on a on, a on a rough camping trip. No, I would not want to do that. Like, I would. That's what I'm <laughs> You'd saying. You'd want to get the RV. Oh, we yeah. could do that. That'd be fun. That would be sick. Mm. We should we do could, that. <gasps> we, we could record podca- podcasts. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we are such nerds. We are so weird. Anyway, what am I talking about? Okay, so let's 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 look at this uh, C.S. Lewis jazz right here. His his first thing he talks about is charity, mm-hmm. and. Uh, he defines charity. It's a good thing to do. Yeah. Right. And now what, what's fascinating is he, he de- defines it, it seems like very specifically. He says it used to mean simply alms or giving to the poor. Well, he says right. that's what we mean. Or that's today. what we mean. Right. Yeah. We think about it merely as giving to the poor. But originally it was really uh, love, mm-hmm. but he <clears> does <throat> says it's not love like an emotion. Right. But it's the state of the will. Uh, in which we wish the good of another. Right. And, and so he says it like this, like uh, when we love ourselves, that doesn't mean that we necessarily uh, like ourselves. Mm-hmm. It means that we want to do what's good for ourselves. Right. Mm-hmm. right? Yep. And so if we love our neighbor like ourselves, that doesn't mean we necessarily have to like our neighbor, but we do have to want their good. Yeah. Right. So it, he he's trying to take charity out of the emotional part. Which he does so often. Which oftentimes our emotion is really about whether we like the person, not yeah. so much whether we want their good. So if you are a parent, you may not like your kid when they're fussing at you, but you mm-hmm. still love them in that you want their good, even though you don't feel affection for them at that moment. Yeah. Right. And charity can operate in that way too. And, and he actually uses another parent illustration, which he says that um, sometimes liking someone can conflict with your charity towards them. And he uses the example of a doting mother mm-hmm. who has a natural like for her child, but that might lead her to spoil him. Yeah. When in fact, her love would call her to discipline him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says that really, when she spoils her child, it's gratifying her own affection impulses at the expense of the child's real happiness later on. That's really key. Mm-hmm. So sometimes liking somebody... Gets, well, in, the force way of gets in the way of actually loving them yeah, yeah. because you're not doing what they really need. You're actually fulfilling something that you need. Yeah. And I mean, that goes with yourself too. Sometimes you like yourself too much and that gets in the way of you pursuing the actual good sure. for yourself. Right. And so, yeah, the word charity, that love that Lewis is talking about there is one of the theological virtues. So, so Lewis thinks that it's something that is uniquely Christian and it, there's a kind of like special grace that's required to achieve it. Um, and again, it's not this emotional thing. It's that state of being, it's that willing, and it's very concrete. It just means to will or to pursue the good of the person that you're right. loving. To, there you to, go. To give another example, if you know it's good for your health, uh, not to eat, you know, terrible food. Mm-hmm. You may feel like you want it, but yeah. love in that moment is actually beca- is to actually fight against that feeling and to do the right thing, especially when you don't feel it. Mm. Uh, and and here Lewis highlights this principle of life 
where he says, don't waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. I love right? that. That's so what so he's good. saying is, don't sit there and go, before I love this person, I need to feel like I love them. Mm-hmm. No, don't do that. Act as if you already had those feelings, mm-hmm. right? And then he says this, as soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. And right? I mean, keep, keep reading there. And he, he says, says, if you injure someone you dislike, yep. you will find yourself disliking him more, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, 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 and so there's a flip. The more you are cruel to somebody, the more you're going to hate them. Yeah. I mean, it's just Lewis picks up on this. What we do affects how we think and feel. And I think the modern picture gets the other way around. It's that I need to feel first and then I'll act. I need to feel the feelings of love and then I'll act. But Lewis is saying, do it the other way around. Do it first and then trust that the feelings will come. And that goes both for loving and hating. It goes both ways. The same, you know, yeah. Well, this is so convicting when he says, he, he differentiates worldly ideas of charity and the Christian idea of charity. And he mm. essentially says that the worldly man treats certain people kindly because he likes them. Yep. In other words, he likes them and then he goes, now I want to be charitable to them. Right. But the Christian tries to treat everyone kindly and he finds himself liking more and more people as he goes on, including people he could not even have imagined himself liking at the beginning. Mm. In other words, because you're a Christian, you go, I don't have to like you to love you. Yeah. Right? So I'm going to love People who are different from me, mm-hmm. people I don't like, enemies. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to love them because I'm called to that. And in the process of loving them, I actually end up liking them. Mm-hmm. So it's a flip. The worldly person says, I have to like you first, then I'll love you. Right. The Christian says, I'm going to love you first. And from that, I'm going to end up finding myself liking you. Mm. Right. Uh, and then, uh, of course, and then so he says, good and evil both increase at compound interest. That is why the little decisions you and I make every day are of such infinite importance. So if you think about, um, homeless or the prisoners or people who are suffering, Mm -hmm. you may not like them. And if you wait for yourself to finally feel like you like them, you will never actually serve them. But if you simply just serve them, you will find that you love them. And that's how it often works. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and this could be with any kind of mercy ministry. You think about orphans or the, you, you may be like, I don't have a heart for them. Well, maybe you need to start doing something for them and then the heart will grow and I have known many people who the great passion they have for, you know, children or for the poor or for whatever happens because they ended up serving in some way disconnected and through serving, they find a love for it. Mm, yeah. And it, and it goes both ways again. It's with the good things that we do and with the bad things that we sure. do that it has this formative component on our character. So Lewis says, uh, The smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later, you may be able to go on to victories you never dreamed of. So it's that idea, I do this small thing now, and then it has these massive repercussions and it reverberates uh, really magnificently in my life. But also on the flip side with sin, Lewis says, the apparently trivial indulgence in lust or anger today is the loss of a ridge or a railway line or a bridgehead from which the enemy may launch an attack otherwise impossible. Right. So that that the small little everyday sins begin eroding and making sort of this huge, I guess, just opening in, in your line of defense to your life that the sort of gives access to the enemy and all sorts of other sins. And it, it's sort of like a really easy uh, misstep 
both for good and for bad. So he says sort of like God has rigged the world so that it's easy to build up in these virtues through these small acts. They sort of magnify in this compound interest. But on the flip side, the bad part of that is it also works with the small acts of sin that we do on the everyday. Everything that we do has this kind of eternal significance. And we've seen this in mere Christianity, several places Lewis points it out. Every single thing that we do is making us into a specific kind of person. And so having that eye towards our actions and behaviors really gives us a kind of seriousness with which we look at the way that we live. And so we you know, are called to be a little bit more cautious and cognizant of what we consume and the, the habits that we form, uh, because ultimately they do put us on these trajectories, either, you know, making us more of a heavenly creature or a hellish cre- creature, to use the language that you, Lewis brings out. We, we take those choices, like you're talking about, and how they form us into a certain type of person. Mm-hmm. And he applies it to our relation with God, which I think is really perceptive. Because he says that we're, we're told we should love God. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but they, but what happens when you don't find that feeling? Yeah. I don't feel like I can. I love God, right? What do you do? Mm-hmm. And here's what he says. The answer is the same as before. Act as if you did. I do not that. sit trying to manufacture feelings. Ask yourself, if I were sure that I loved God, what would I do? And mm-hmm. when you have found the answer, go and do it. Yeah. I think so many of us are stuck in that because we sit there and we go, I should Where's feel this love for God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you try <clears throat> to manufacture those feelings. It feels fake. You know that. Yeah. Right? And it causes this anxiety and you're focused on yourself when mm-hmm. in fact you go, I don't feel it right now, right. but I love God, right? And my love for God is shown, especially at the moments when I don't want to obey him, I'm going to anyways, right? And he says, no one can always have devout feelings. I'm glad he just says it, Yeah. right? Yeah. And even if we could, feelings are not what God principally cares about. Christian love either towards God or towards man is an affair of the will. Right. Mm -hmm. And the great thing to remember is that though our feelings come and go, his love for us does not. It is not wearied by our sins, our indifference, and therefore it is quite relentless in its determination that we should be cured of these sins at whatever cost to us, at whatever cost to him. Mm -hmm. So God himself, and we got to be careful, he's not a human. Yeah. But God himself is not, his love is consistent to us. He's constantly willing our good. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we need to remember that when we show love to other people, the steadfast, consistent love we show precisely means that it's going to be a love that's consistent knowing that our affections and emotions will go up and down. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's the same thing for God. It's okay if we don't always feel it. What matters is that we love him, Mm. especially at the moments when we don't want to. Yeah, and and that little insight there that focusing on the feeling makes the feeling and everything else like elusive. You can't, in trying to pursue the feeling, you are unable to get the feeling, but you also miss out on the ability to love God. And this is, Lewis also talks about this in his discussion on hope, which we'll get to, but this idea that aiming at uh, lesser things means we don't get the lesser things or the greater things. But if we aim at the greater thing, then we get both. And so there's this principle, Jesus talks about seeking first the kingdom and everything else will be added. So there's this principle of when we aim towards the greater things, God tosses in the smaller things with it. But if we focus on the smaller things, here being the feelings and the emotions, we get neither. We don't even get the, the feelings and then we lose out on the bigger opportunity to love 
and participate in God's kingdom and all these kinds of things as well. Well, let's talk about hope. Yeah. And I think dive right in with anything in the Christian life. It it does seem like the will is like our little rudder on a ship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, when you move the rudder, the ship doesn't immediately turn directions. You kind of have to keep it there for a while, Mm -hmm. but after a little bit, you start to see that it moves. And I think that's kind of how our affections change over time. Yeah. Right. You you start to pray a little bit. You start to turn away from sin or whatever. Hmm. And you're like, I still feel the same. Well, yeah, your rudder, it takes time for the rudder's effect to move this massive ship. Yeah. Right. But that little rudder does change the direction. And I think with hope, like you were talking about, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim mm-hmm. at earth and you'll get neither. Yeah. I think that heavenward focus is constantly reorienting. It's constantly shifting the rudder towards the eternal things of God. Hmm. And slowly that'll start to shift your life, your finances, your relationships, the way you talk about God and and worship. But it's not gonna be an instant thing. So we have to constantly present that to our minds, which he's gonna Mm -hmm. talk about later. Yeah, yeah. But hope is interesting because sometimes we can think, oh, Christianity is, you know, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Or it's just wishful thinking. It's just wishful thinking. You're Mm -hmm. all about the next world where there are real sufferings and bad things here. Mm -hmm. But, but, Lewis makes a good point where he's like, what are you talking about, right? And he says, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next, mm-hmm. right? And- I mean, keep keep, keep reading there, because right. there- he, he talks about the apostles themselves yeah. who set foot on the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. I love that. That's so great. we're not talking mm-hmm. about escapism, mm-hmm. we're talking about because my ultimate glory is past this life, I can spend myself in this life. I can take risks and I can fight for what's right in this life hmm. because the power of death has been broken over me, right? And, you know, I, I think he, he, he talks about how we recognize that even things like falling in love or visiting a foreign country or, um, you know, learning something new, hmm. It has this initial rush of now, I'm on the precipice of fulfillment. Hmm. And then the marriage gets old. Yeah. And then the country becomes old and the novelty wears off. And you realize, again, something has evaded us. And then he talks about different ways to deal with it. When you feel that gap between, oh, I thought this would fix me. I thought this would give me fulfillment. And it didn't. What do you do? Right? You either Go from woman to woman, divorce, mm-hmm. divorce, divorce, find the right person. You yep. go from job to job, you go from religion to religion, or you get disillusioned and just settle for nothing. You just be like, well, this is life, whatever. He says, don't do those things. Instead, do the Christian way. What's the Christian way, Paul? I have to pull this up from my notes because you caught me off guard. <laughs> Got you. <laughs> uh, well, it's his famous quote, right? Yeah. The Christian way is... Christ, our, us creatures are born with are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger. Uh, that means there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. There's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. So Lewis has this argument that the desires that we find in ourselves have to have some object. They right. can't be desires about nothing. Otherwise, like what does it even mean for it to be a desire? So desires are appetites that have something that they're trying to secure. And so for us as humans, when we look out into the world and we find that there's nothing that can satisfy the eternal longing, the you know desire for something that's greater than creation, 
then we have to stop and pause and go like, well, like maybe we're not made for this world. Maybe we're made for something else that can satisfy that longing. And so you think about like Ecclesiastes talks about God putting eternity in the hearts of men. And so this idea here in Lewis that there's something in us that cries out for more than just the material. Right. And that should lead us to start questioning whether this is all that there is, whether we were made for somewhere else. Right. It's like, you know, you get married, marriage isn't enough. You have kids, that's not enough. You get a, the, the dream job, it's not enough. There's mm. problems with it too. And so you have this problem, like you're saying, it's this log jam where you're like, this makes me want more than just this, but I can't get that more than just this from this life. Hmm. Like this marriage is good, makes me want more, but this yeah. marriage can't provide that more that I want. Right. <clears throat> right. And so he goes, the Christian goes, that must mean that more that I want is something beyond this life. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's just a signpost, a pointer. And and when I recognize that, this is the aim for heaven, get earth thrown in. When I recognize that that other thing can't be provided by this marriage or this job, then I can appreciate this marriage or this job for right, what it is. Right, It doesn't right. overburden the marriage. It doesn't overburden exactly. the relationship. You're not expecting too much right. or you're not expecting it to do more than it's supposed to do. I enjoy airports. That's weird. I don't know why. That is weird. But there's a novelty to <clears> them. <throat> and I think I enjoy them because I know I'm only going to be there for a little bit of time. I don't expect to be home. This is just this nice little transitory thing. Interesting. But the fact that I know I'm going home allows me to appreciate the, the airport for what it is. I, and I don't know. I've, I've honestly always felt this way. I'm just like, yeah, this is kind of a cool little new experience or whatever. The airports are kind of interesting. And you meet all these oh, people man. who are also You're in You're the transit. only person on the planet who feels okay, this well, way. I hate Maybe airports. I should camp it in airport. I don't yeah, know. you should. <laughs> but... Uh, I, that for some reason, that's always what comes to mind. Yeah, that, that's interesting. You know, that, that's a fair metaphor. Knowing that you're going home <clears throat> yeah. allows you to put the airport in proper perspective. Sure. If you thought you had to live there, that'd be terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? That's fair. But, you know, and, and he talks about the hope of heaven, <clears throat> you know, as, as sort of a coming home. And he makes, he goes to great length to say, we're not, you know, don't think about heaven as like spending eternity playing harps or. Yeah making all these <clears throat> symbolic things literal. Mm -hmm. uh, he says, people who take these symbols literally might as well think that when Christ told us to be like doves, he meant that we were to lay eggs. So I he's getting that. a little- uh, Cheeky. Ornery here. Yeah, a little yep. cheeky. Um, you got to wonder if C.S. Lewis is a little post-millennial. He seems very like optimistic about like- True. I mean, he Maybe. says, it's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this world. And he talks about how the kind of like thinking about the next life and the afterlife is part of the drive to begin cultivating that here. Right. It's possible. The abolition of slavery, the, right. the ending of, you know, all he, of these terrible vices and things like that. And you have to remember Lewis is, you know, at least when he's giving these lectures, World War II is going on. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. so it's not like <clears throat> he is, and he was a, a veteran of World War One, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's not a, he's very aware of, how bad the world can get. Yeah. So he's not sort of pie in the sky, naively optimistic about things. Uh, but it, yeah, he does seem to yeah. be more hopeful about Christianity's effect on the future than, than maybe we would today. I, yeah. I don't know. Maybe we're too little. Maybe, maybe. we lack <clears throat> faith, which Ooh. is the next thing he talks about. You want to put a little bow tie on the hope section? Bow tie Just, it. Uh, what's, bow tie it. So hope is essentially... Living with an eye towards eternity. 
and and having that structure and shape and form the kinds of decisions you make and and allowing that to to motivate you to do big great Take risky risks, things right yeah. so so that's to not it, it's hope. live for yourself and yeah. his wife yeah mm-hmm. yeah exactly that takes faith yeah it takes so, faith though right boom, let's go to the next one and he actually mm-hmm. has two chapters on faith yeah he talks about two different kinds of faith so the first kind uh is simply what what he just says is belief like believing the true doctrines of christ Right. It, it's sort of very related to charity sure. because he talks about there, when you make a decision to become a Christian, you believe things, but then also there's a kind of like your, your faith is never, or your belief is never unwavering. So the evidence seems really good to you when you become a Christian, you're like, okay, great. Like all this seems great. But then he talks about the faltering moods. Like you're not always like perfectly, sometimes you go like, well, like this doesn't always make sense. Sometimes the evidence seems stronger than it did or lesser than it did. And faith is kind of the tether or the rope that keeps you even when you've got the faltering moods. Right. And so that right. that's the first kind of like, in the same way that charity is acting as if I loved even when I don't have the feelings, faith is sort of like a corollary there. I will keep on believing even when things don't seem, sure. like the evidence doesn't seem as strong or as compelling as it once did. It's like you, you know, like a compass is like, a compass is the truth of Christianity and uh-huh. it's pointing you you know, out of the woods, right? (laughs) Out of the camping. And you're walking through the woods and you're like, wow, this looks like it's getting dark. It looks like, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, uh, I can't see the path. And you're making a choice to follow the compass. Right. And that's faith. Yeah. Right. So it's practical. It's practical, Mm -hmm. right? Like your mood's going to change. You're going to be more confident, less confident as you walk through the woods. Yeah. But the decision it's consistent. You go, the compass is trust, trustworthy. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to follow it precisely because my emotions are going to change. Lewis calls it specifically the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. So like faith right. in your marriage, right? You make a covenant and you believe that, you know, your your spouse is faithful, that your spouse is all these sorts of things. And, you know, it doesn't always seem that way in the course of life. But that tether, that art of holding on to something, and it's something that we've kind of lost in our culture, like having faith in one another. Uh, we sort of have this like, well, if something doesn't seem obviously true to me at every single moment, I'm just going to you know, ditch and go to something else. And sure. so this is why faith is a virtue and it takes practice and it's something right. you build. It's an art. It's a skill. And right. it takes lots and lots and lots of time and to, to well, cultivate. Well, Lewis says that one must train the habit of faith. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Faith is not a passive thing. It's yeah. an active decision that you make. Yeah. Right. And, and then he, he flips it. He goes, think about people who've lost their faith. Mm-hmm. And he poses the question, which is very perceptive, I think. Yeah. How many of these people who have rejected the faith were reasoned out because of honest argument? Right. <laughs> Don't most people simply drift away? Yeah. When, in other words, what he's saying is people who drift away or who reject the faith, is it because they heard this slam dunk argument against God? No, it's because little by little they drifted away from the practices of Christianity, from they're drifting towards sin. It, it's often more that than mm. just a purely rational issue. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and, and, and he kind of talks about how, you know, uh, when, when you think about, um, 
It, it's like no, uh, he says, no, no man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation mean, means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. Mm-hmm. Right. And so people who drift away, it's like. It almost seems like the people who stay with Christianity are the ones who they never suffer. They never deal with a lot of sin. Yeah. He goes, no, they're probably the ones who dealt with it the most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why their faith is strong. Mm -hmm. Right? That's why they know the trustworthiness of God. Because it has been tested at that strong point. And the people who drift away often are the ones who really haven't resisted much at all. Hmm. Right? Yeah. And so I think that that's, that's, and we were just talking about this, why it seems like people are falling away from the faith left and right. And part of it is it's sensationalized. It's Mm -hmm. really not that many people. It's just, they're the loudest voice. Right. Um, But you wonder if a part of it is, it's mass in this sort of like, you know, it was such a struggle and, you know. I, I I I read up on the science or whatever, all this stuff. And yeah. you just wonder how much of that is really true. Yeah. Yeah. And were you actually involved with your church? Were right. you were you practicing Christianity? And yeah, I mean, oftentimes it is just as simple as are you living a Christian life? And if so, you can expect that those habits will keep you. And if you fall away from those habits, you can't expect that your 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 beliefs will will stay intact. I mean, Lewis gives two practical steps. To, to grow the muscle of faith. The first is just recognize that your moods falter right. and don't put too much stock in that. The same with love. Love is not this emotion. What it is to be a Christian, what it is to be faithful is not just to, you know, to feel as if all the evidence for Christianity is compelling every single moment. Sometimes it's just that art of holding on to it, even when it doesn't seem as compelling. And the second is really, really practical. He says, pray, go to church, and read scripture. Right. And so there you've got the components of the Christian life are there as sort of like uh, a training ground where you where you build and exercise these muscles of faith with community, with other people. And you're you're able to be inspired and uplifted by other people's faith and seeing uh and, and so part of what happens in community is people get to to lean on one another. When when my faith is strong and yours isn't, you know, you lean on me. When your faith is strong and mine isn't, I get to lean on you. And that's okay, and that's good and healthy, uh, but you can't do that if you're not in a community and you're not practicing all of these Christian disciplines. So it really is just like, it is a very practical sort of, in the same way you work out your muscles to to build your triceps and your biceps, you build out your faith by acknowledging that your moods falter. And then, you have to feed it. Yeah, right? absolutely. And that's not... Uh... Sometimes we think that it's not authentic yeah. <laughs> if it's repetitive or ritualistic, and, and that's just not true. So yeah. much of our life is repetitive and ritualistic, yep. and that doesn't mean it's any less authentic. That That's Absolutely. a modern idea, Yep. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you may want to cheat on your wife. You may authentically want that. You better not do yeah, it. Yeah, that's terrible. Right? Yeah. And it's not, you shouldn't feel bad that you didn't authentically, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's just. Who cares? Yeah. Right? Just don't do it. Exactly. Um, now, We're the opposite of Nike. Just right. don't do it. Well, he also talks about this subtle contract we have with God where we think we can put God in our debt. Mm. But he makes the point that, look, we don't give anything to God. And, yeah. and he uses the illustration of a kid yeah, asking his dad for money to buy his dad a gift. Yeah. And. The dad will do it. He'll do it. Yeah. But he's not, 
It's his money yeah, that he's yeah, giving. Yeah. And in the same way, all the obedience we offer up to God is simply what he has empowered us to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And he says, when a man has made this discovery, God can really get to work. It's after this that real life begins. The man is awake now. We can now go on to talk about faith in the second sense, which we'll mm-hmm. get to. Yeah. But that's a really good illustration where we're not, you know, these strong, faithful whatevers. You know, it's not about proving something to God. Right. Faith is, in fact, the opposite. It's going, God, I'm going to fail at this. I trust you. Mm. I ask you to empower me, to help me, Mm -hmm. to forgive me, to be merciful to me. And uh, that's the liberation of faith. Yeah. It's an outward focus, Mm -hmm. not an inward focus. Uh, that I mean, and that that really is the the second sense of faith that he's talking about. So that that first sense there is the the art of holding on to uh, the truths even when my moods falter. And that second kind of faith that that Lewis calls the greater faith. And I think this might actually be close to saving faith, which is the kind of just acknowledging that I in myself have no capacity to live out the Christian life, to save myself, right. to do anything, and to throw myself upon God and trust that he will save me. So I think there he's articulating. So, so maybe, you know, the reformers like made the distinction between like the different kinds of faith, like the intellectual ascent versus the saving faith and all that. I think Lewis is doing something similar here. So he's the first sense of faith is kind of that intellectual faith where I will trust and hold on to these truths even when they're not immediately obvious every single moment of every single day. Right. And then the second is a lot more practical. And it's that kind of recognizing in myself that I can't do all of what God requires of me. And I throw myself upon his mercy. And that is one, it's a lot, I think it's, (laughs) it's a lot harder to do than just the sort of intellectual ascent project. Um, But this is why Lewis calls it the greater sense of faith. And it's the one that, all of us are called to the one that uh, requires us to see that we're bankrupt in ourselves and we, we can't live out the moral requirements of the law and that we are condemned before God. And the only way that we can have even the slightest chance of being saved is if God has pure grace and and throwing ourselves on that. And and again, Lewis is so good on this because everything he's saying and everything you're saying about him is Stop looking at yourself. Yeah. Stop focusing. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. Yep. Right. He, he talks about how, you know, if you focus on yourself, that's like uh, a man who is anxiously watching to see whether he's going to sleep. And mm. in doing that, you're going to yeah. remain awake. And yeah. We all know that, yep. right? If yep. you're sitting there going, mm. I need to get to sleep, I need to get to sleep, mm. you're better off just focusing on something else, right? Yeah. Uh, or you don't go, you don't recognize that you're growing up. It's only when you look back that you realize that you've grown up. Mm -hmm. And so I think he's trying to get us off our minds and it's almost like, you know, what is faith? Well, it's not sitting there focusing on how much faith you have in God. It's looking at God and going, okay, who are you? And Mm -hmm. it's like, man, I don't have a lot of faith. I don't, I'm struggling with this. Well, even saying that to God is an act of faith. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, and he says, the faith is the change from being confident about our own efforts to the state in which we despair of doing anything for ourselves and leave it to God. Hmm. So even you think, well, I can do this. I'm a good Christian. I, I can have enough faith. I can muster enough emotion. I can, yeah. You're still focusing on yourself Absolutely. instead of going, mm-hmm. I can't. My emotions change. I'm cranky. I'm moody. I need sleep. I need all this stuff. I'm mm-hmm. dependent. I, I sin, all this stuff. And you go, all these things are true. And then you go, God, yeah, help me, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes that's 
not sometimes that that, that is, is yeah. what it means yeah. to trust Christ, right? Uh, that that that, and he says it beautifully here, right? Uh, trust that Christ will somehow share with him the perfect uh, human obedience, which he carried out from his birth to his crucifixion, that Christ will make the man more like himself and in a sense, make good his deficiencies, mm. right? In Christian language, he will share his sonship with us, will make us like himself, sons of God, right? Yeah. And he, he says, and I love this, this is his practical application. If you've really handed yourself over to him, it must follow that you are trying to obey him, mm -hmm. but trying in a new way, yeah. a less worried way, mm -hmm. not doing these things in order to be saved because he has begun to save you already. Yeah. Not hoping to get to heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably wanting to act in a certain way because a first faint gleam of heaven is already inside of you. Oh, that's beautiful. Right. I love that. <clears throat> So you're, you're, you're living out of something that's been accomplished for you. This mm -hmm. is very Protestant of yeah. Lewis, mm -hmm. right? And, uh, but I think that that's, man, I want to get that in my own head. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it is a, a weird works thing where you're like, I need to feel something for God at every moment. Yeah. Or I need to have more faith in God. When really sometimes f having more faith in God comes from, Recognizing that you don't have a lot of faith in God, yeah, and you trust Him with that. Does that it, make sense? In fact, the the worrying that you don't have enough faith is itself a lack of a faith. lack of faith because right. you're still looking at yourself. Well, it's sort of like what is it, Mark nine? The <laughs> yeah, the, the Lord, guy help who has me. the, the help my epileptic son or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. There's so much wisdom in that. Yeah, right. I, he recognizes his finitude. He recognizes how inconsistent he is. And because of that, he goes, God, you, mm. <laughs> you do something. Yeah. Right. Help my unbelief. You can even help my unbelief. Yeah. And it takes belief that he can help you to even say yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And to not say that is to not believe that he can help you. Man, Lewis just, I, I just want to like read out this whole section, but <clears throat> he has this great little, he talks about the the distinction between works and faith and how people right. try to articulate that. And he says, the Bible really like seems to clinch the matter because it, it gives this, and he quotes from Paul here, the first half is work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, which makes it look as if everything depends on us and our good actions. But then the second half goes on to say, for it's God who works in you, which looks as if God does everything and we do nothing. And then he says, sometimes we try to cash out, well, what does God do? What do I do? As if, as if we're looking at like two people pulling like a, a wagon together. Right. And he says that that's we're the wrong competing. way. Exactly. Yeah. We're not, it's that God isn't a creature like us. And this is, you know, we've talked about this so many times before, like ad nauseum. God's causation is not competitive with ours. Like when I get up and decide to go to church, God is working in me to do that. Right. And you're it's, doing it too. But I'm doing it, right? right. So my my decisions are really and important. Not in a 50-50 way, but right. in a hundred percent God, hundred percent you. Exactly, yeah. right? God God's the author of my story. Right. And but it depends, it's up to me moment by moment what I will do. And God is working with me exactly simultaneously as I do it. And so that's what grace is. When I get when I decide to wake up and go to church in the morning. That's God's grace working in me, enabling me to do that, giving me right. the desire, cultivating it, helping me to do it, all that sort of stuff. And so it's not God competing with my will. It's God working with me, in me to do that. Right. And and so it's not as though you go, uh, God commands you to do something, right? And you go, I need to have faith 
to do it. Well, then you just sit there. The faith <laughs> isn't waiting for this surge of emotion mm. to do it. Yeah. The faith is going, God said, do this. Mm. God is good. Yeah. I'm going to do it no matter how I feel. Right. That's actually more of an exercise of faith than the yeah. person who goes, yeah, I'm yeah. really jazzed up to do that. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I think there's a something Jesus talks about. It's like a parable where like he, he compares two guys. One of them uh, receives a command and doesn't do it. The other doesn't. Oh, no. The other guy says he will do something and he doesn't do it. The, the other guy says he won't do it, but ends up doing it later. Hmm. The guy who says no initially, but does it later, gets it, right? Because it's right. about the action, hmm. right? And, and I think that that's more so kind of what Lewis is talking about, where it's just like, look, you may not, you know, feel it, right? But that doesn't change your obligation to do it. Yeah. And so faith and works are different, but they're related, mm -hmm. right? You're saved by faith alone, yeah. right? But he mentions this where he says, you'll find that those who insist most strongly on the importance of good actions tell you that you need faith, yeah. right? Those who say yeah. you need to live like a Christian, it's gonna take faith with it. It's gonna take yeah. faith that God will help you mm -hmm. when you make the decision to obey that God will empower you to do it. Yeah. That yeah. takes faith that mm -hmm. you're trusting that God will help you, right. right? And those who insist most strongly on faith tell you to, good, to do good actions, right? Mm -hmm. If you really have faith, you're gonna trust God and do his commands. Yeah. So again, it's that famous Augustine quote yeah. where he says, God, command what you will and will what you command, yeah. Yeah. right? So God gives us the power to obey, mm -hmm. but for us to tap into that power, we have to trust that he will give it to yeah. us when we decide to obey. I mean, and, and what and it even is- even the decision to obey is a gift of him. What it is to have faith, right, exactly, is 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 practice, is doing the thing. Sure. I think of like that, that famous story of the, the town that was going through a terrible drought. So they all went out into the town square and were praying for rain, that God would send rain. And uh, a little child overheard the prayer and walked outside with an umbrella and so everybody else was just standing there. And so that that little act, like that's what faith is, right? Like you can you can pray until you're like blue in the face that God will send rain. But like, what does it mean to have faith? Like you know, put your rain boots on and get your umbrella out. And so there, what it is to have faith is like it's deeply practical and it involves actions and it involves behavioral lifestyle changes. So when somebody says like, I'm not sure if I have faith or not, like the test there is, well, go and do something. Go, go, even if you don't have the corresponding emotion or feeling, go to church again. Go try to rekindle that relationship that went sour. That, that's what faith is. And so it always has a practical component with it. And the two are kind of inseparable at that level. Or when you're camping and you're like, why is it so cold? Or why are there so many mosquitoes annoying me? And you're praying for the cold to go away and the mosquitoes to die. And then a little kid goes, why don't we just go home? Go home. <laughs> <laughs> See what I'm saying? Brian is that little kid. There you go. There and you we're go. back. And we're back full <clears> circle. <throat> uh, thank you guys for listening to this. Uh, we're going to keep continuing and trucking along in this great book. But man, this has been, I hope this has been as fun for you as it has been for us. And by you, I mean the one person listening <laughs> you. You, you know who you are. But we're going to be back next week with some more content. Make sure you pick up a copy of Mere Christianity. Read through it. You're just read through it a little bit at a time. And hopefully this can be a guide. I hope we're just introducing you to the wonder of 
C.S. That'd Lewis. be amazing. Yeah. Great stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, share this with your friends. Leave a review and pass on the good word about this great podcast. We'll catch you next week. Bye.